In the Antares galaxy, somewhere between the gas giant of Triangulum and the water world of Cetus, Earth Station 454 hung amongst the stars. A twisted city of grey metal floating in the void. For years, it had been alone. It was not alone now. Within its walls, at the end of a long corridor, lay a room. The xenobotanist Arnold Biggs sat at the head. A wiry man in his mid-sixties, the distinguished professor surveyed the area ruefully before rising to his feet and starting to speak. My friends and colleagues, this is a sad day for us all. After six years of positive and productive experimentation, exploration and cosmological cooperation, our laboratories and research work are to be closed down with immediate effect. The reasons for this are not known. We have worked well, indeed, I would dare to say happily together. A twinkle appeared in his eyes, and he continued his speech with increasing vigor and energy. I intend that this should continue, and I intend that this be but a short interval in the work we have been doing here. You can rest assured that on our return to Earth, I shall be seeking answers from our lords and masters on the Universal Council as to why this intermission has been imposed upon us. Thank you all. He resumed his seat. As the sounds of the party filled the air around him, Biggs allowed himself the luxury of a smile. On board the incredible time and space machine known as the TARDIS, the Doctor, the ship's vagabond pilot, and his two companions, Jamie McCrimmon and Zoe Herriot, were about to get something of a surprise. It wasn't long after lunch. The doctor had put the TARDIS into a holding pattern and retired for a postprandial nap. Zoe was clearing up. Since Jamie had been in charge of cooking, it was her turn to take on the temperamental vagaries of the galley's dishwasher. As the machine was simultaneously way ahead of her time and astonishingly backward, this was harder than it might have immediately appeared. She stared at the dials and switches in their strange alien coding and tried to second-guess which buttons would actually clean a plate and which ones would jettison them all into the heart of a supernova. Jamie, meanwhile, was alone in the control room a circumstance that was, strangely, something that rarely happened. He looked over the battery of blank screens and still dials. Even when they were active, they rarely meant much to him. Unlike Zoe, with her knowledge of particle physics and such, his scientific knowledge was scant. This was in part due to the fact that centres of advanced learning were as rare as elephants' footprints in the Scottish highlands of the 18th century where he came from. 
but he had always been insatiably curious, which to an extent explained his present companionship with the mercurial doctor. He picked up as much as he could during his time in the TARDIS by watching his two friends, but most of the ship's functions were still as baffling to him as the dishwasher was to Zoe. He tried to gauge which switch would light up the screens that displayed the images from the external sensors and cameras. Until now, whenever he had attempted to touch any of the controls, the Doctor had always been on hand to say no. But the Doctor wasn't here now. Jamie's fingers hung lightly over the console. Surely there's no harm in just taking a wee peek. He turned the switch he thought the Doctor usually used, and the screens and dials immediately leapt into life. But before he could be pleased with himself, he realised with horror that so too had the TARDIS itself. Oh, crevens! From the galley, Zoe recognised the familiar sounds of the TARDIS travelling and landing. But we shouldn't be landing yet. She abandoned her task and ran from the room. As the machine shuddered to a halt, she burst into the console room. Jamie! Jamie, what have you done? Uh, uh, nothing. I just wondered if, um, well, if you want to know the truth, I have already forgotten what it was uh, I wondered. The doctor appeared through the interior doorway, yawning and running a hand through his permanently messy hair. Uh, what's going on, uh, Zoe? Have you been fiddling? <gasps> Not me. It, it was me, doctor. You? What were you trying to do? I just wondered what was out there, you know, when we were not going anywhere. So, now you have allowed your curiosity to get the better of you, um, what do you see? Uh, nothing. Uh, that is, we seem to have landed in a passage somewhere. The scanner showed a bland, empty corridor. There were several closed exits leading off it, and a large pair of opaque glass double doors at the far end. There's no one about, so could we go and explore? Hang on. There seems to be conflicting atmospheres here. Look at those pressure dials, Doctor. Hmm. I, I think wherever we are is under the gravitational influence of something larger or certainly something more powerful. Uh, let us um, proceed with caution. Certainly, we shall explore. Come along. Pressing the door release, the Doctor led his two companions out into the well-lit but very anonymous passageway beyond. Above Earth Space Station 454, like some vast mother hen, hovered Rose Marinus, a huge satellite from the planet Rosa Damascena. On board, Colbert, the CEO from 454, was remonstrating with Commander Rugosa, the captain of Rose Marinus. Commander Rugosa, this is far outside any protocol that has been agreed between the galaxies, he shouted angrily. All guidelines state the being opposite him waved a hand to silence the Earth official. Rugosa stood about six feet tall and was covered in greeny-brown skin and warts with a huge head somewhat out of proportion to the rest of his body. A strange-looking creature, for certain, but he nonetheless exuded the charisma of power. Monsieur Colbert... You have to understand that we are only here for a very short time. Soon we must return to Rosa Damascena. It was imperative that Professor Biggs, the most eminent of xenobotanists, put his mind to our problem. Colbert was not convinced. 
Why is it necessary to close us down? If, as you say, there is a plant problem, surely the sensible thing would be to bring the affected plants to us. Rugosa shook his head. We have. The plants are in the Rosarium, but it would be impossible to bring them all into your small space station. There are rather a lot of them. The large creature appeared to shrug. Besides, they are always kept in specific conditions, and I doubt if you could replicate those in one of your little laboratories. Colbert inhaled sharply in haughty dismay. Commander Hugosa, our laboratories are amongst the most advanced and the most sophisticated. They are specially adapted for intergalactic use. You may wish to denigrate our progress, but the Galaxy Beaters is hardly leading the field in research. Otherwise, why would you be here looking for our assistance? He waved his hands in the air dismissively. Oh, but that's beside the point. Much more serious is the fact that I was misled, or certainly misinformed, into believing that the closing down instructions for Earth Space Station 454 was an emergency, and that those orders came from Earth. There was a pause as Commander Rugosa stared back at Colbert for a few moments seemingly trying to get the measure of him. Then the alien opened his arms, smiled and spoke. The orders did come from Earth, just via us. It is all agreed with your home world. That is why you are now docked in our arrivals bay. It was all to save time. Colbert was not convinced. As the chief executive officer of ESS 454, I should have been informed ahead of time if systems were going to be bypassed in this fashion, not just led up the garden path and presented with a fait accompli. It is totally unacceptable. I am sorry that you are taking that line, Monsieur Colbert. And we regret that Professor Biggs is still at the Earth Station. Perhaps you would let me show you our rosarium so that when you bring Professor Biggs here, you can give him a fuller explanation as to why we need him and his staff. Colbert didn't appear hugely swayed by the argument, but after a moment he shrugged and gave in. Oh, very well. But I assure you I shall be lodging the firmest of objections to this breach of procedures. They started ahead from the room. And remember, I am no botanist, so don't try and blind me with science. Keep it simple. Rugosa smiled. But of course. With a hand resting lightly on his back, Rugosa led Colbert from the room. Meanwhile, the Doctor and his friends had already made some progress through the Earth space station. It appeared to be a deserted laboratory complex. They'd gone through several rooms, all filled with giant computers and technology, but they'd not seen a soul. Zoe looked at some of the computers curiously. These devices all seem to be collecting data, but not processing it or transmitting it anywhere. It's all very odd. Perhaps they abandoned ship for some reason. Oh, like the Marie Celeste. The who? The Marie Celeste. It was an American sailing ship found abandoned in the Atlantic in the 1870s. No one ever knew what happened to the crew. Ah, if you promise uh, never to reveal it, I, uh, I can tell you what happened. You can? It was the Daleks. The Daleks? Not those nasty metal beasties again. Uh, yes, they do uh, rather get around, I'm afraid, Jamie. Uh, they landed on the ship and killed everyone. Uh, some crew were drowned trying to get away and the others were uh, <clears throat> exterminated. But why, Doctor? 
I'm sorry to say that the Daleks were looking for me at the time. The TARDIS and I just dropped in, but we had to drop out again pretty quickly. Well, you don't think the Daleks are here, do you? Oh, I, I hope not. But if they were, I, I think we'd have found one of their guards by now. And I can't believe they wouldn't leave cameras monitoring this place from every entry and every exit. No, uh, <clears throat> whatever's happened here is something quite different. Uh, come along. With a wave, the Doctor called his friends after him as he headed out of the room and towards the double doors at the end of the next corridor. After a precautionary pause, they went through them too and were immediately surprised by the sound of distant applause. So there are people here. It would appear so. Let's find them. They hurried off in the direction of the sound. Heading off down a corridor, the Doctor stopped at every junction and listened for the sounds once more. When satisfied he'd gauged the direction the noise was coming from, he pointed down the branch he wanted his friends to follow, and the process started again. After a few minutes they reached a door behind which it seemed a party or meeting was taking place. Jamie turned to his friends. Well, what are you waiting for? He was all set for bursting straight through the doors, but the doctor immediately held up a hand to stop him. We, um, we shouldn't just barge in, Jamie. We should always be polite. As the doctor knocked, there was a sudden and complete silence from the room. Before the crew of the TARDIS could comment on this, they heard a single set of footsteps approaching the door. It opened and there stood Professor Biggs. He looked at the trio sadly. Is it time? Time for what? Haven't you come for me? But there's no one else here. Behind Biggs, she could see that the large room, seemingly so full of noise and people beforehand, was empty, but for their new acquaintance, as barren and deserted as the rest of the station. Haven't you come to collect me? The time travellers were a little nonplussed. Eventually the doctor spoke. Uh, no, we were just passing and thought the station was deserted. It is, except for me. Professor Arnold Biggs, xenobotanist. I was just shutting down some experiments before departing like the rest of the crew. I was expecting a Frenchman called Colbert. But we heard all that clapping. Just a little vanity, my dear. I was saying a public farewell privately with the help of some old tapes. Come in. This is the common room. Professor Biggs held the door open and led them through into the comfortable-looking room. After completing the introductions, the doctor asked him why the station was deserted. Well, we've been closed down. It was rather sudden, no warning at all. The others have left already. They were picked up by a satellite yesterday. It's still there, waiting for me. I'm just staying here to mothball a few experiments, generally ensure the laboratories are safe and ready to open again once the situation allows. And you've no idea at all what's caused this uh, hiatus? When these emergencies occur, ours is not to reason why, until we get back to base. I'm waiting for Colbert. He's the chief administrator of the space station. He's going to return and collect me. Exactly what sort of experiments have you been conducting? You interested in my work? Well, naturally. Uh, xenobotany's always been something of a hobby of mine. Has it indeed? How marvellous. Well, of course I'll explain it then. I've been looking into how the wild rose... Within moments, he and the Doctor were deep in discussion on the complexities of intergalactic botany and the diversity of plant life to be found across the universe. Long, complex Latin words abounded and Jamie turned to glance at Zoe. Even she was looking lost. 
Have you got any idea of what they're talking about? It's well out of my field. Hmm. Let's have a wee look round while we've the chance. I don't think they'll miss us. I'm sure they won't. Excuse me, uh, we won't be long. But the two scholarly gentlemen were so deep in discussion that they didn't even seem to notice the interruption. As they continued to talk, their two young friends nodded to each other and slipped quietly out of the door to further explore the living quarters of the station. Back on Rose Marinus, Ragosa was showing Colbert the wonders of the Rosarium. It was a huge area given over to thousands of different roses. There were shrubs, bushes, trees, even ground cover types. Tea roses, floribundas and buttonhole varieties. There were flowers everywhere and the scent was unbelievable. Colbert was duly impressed. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. I've never seen anything like this. It is magnificent. Why, thank you, Monsieur Colbert. But you must understand that our culture, indeed our very existence, is dependent upon roses. The life force in our veins is not blood as it is with you humans from Earth, but an ichor, or as we prefer to think of it, rose life. Now, let me show you the plants which are causing us concern and for which we need the skills of your Professor Biggs. He took Colbert by the arm and led him to a section where a group of roses appeared to be waving in a breeze. Except there was no breeze. Is that alive? asked Colbert. They move all the time and the scent has changed. Smell one of the flowers and you will understand better. Colbert approached the waving plants, reached out and took one of the blooms. He put it to his nose and inhaled, not noticing a briar from the plant wrapping itself round his arm as he did so. He flinched at the smell. Oh, it's disgusting. It has a sort of scent of decay, of rotting. Exactly. Colbert was suddenly aware that he was being overtaken by the rosebush. Commander, what is happening? It has hold of my arm. Another briar lashed out, thorns gripping at him, piercing the fabric of his uniform and sinking into his flesh. And it has taken hold of my leg. It is pulling at me. Commander, get me away from this plant. Do something. Ragosa stepped back, whilst Colbert struggled against the rose. It wrapped him tighter and tighter with its briars, pulling him ever closer to its heart. Ragosa shrugged. What do you expect me to do? Anything! Cut me free! These thorns are vicious! I can't pull myself away! You must help me! But that will put us both in danger, Monsieur Colbert. Ragosa shook his head and watched, as with a despairing shriek suddenly cut off, Colbert was engulfed by the rose. I'm so sorry, but we really couldn't have you creating all that trouble. There was a knock at the entrance. Commander Ragosa moved away from the carnivorous rose and its still twitching victim crossed the rosarium and opened the door for the new arrival. Outside stood Colbert, or rather, someone who looked exactly like him. Oh, yes. Excellent. The man spoke with Colbert's voice. You wanted to see me, boss? The replicator has done a fine job. 
Even his own mother would think you were her son. You have even got the voice just right. Thank you, boss. Rogoza shook his head firmly. You mustn't call me boss. Commander will do. Rogoza walked round Colbert's doppelganger and clearly approved of what he saw. You must go and collect Professor Biggs from the Earth Station. I am sure he will accept you as Colbert, for that is whom he is expecting. Take a couple of armed Rose Mariners with you, but they must keep out of sight. They're only needed if he starts to cause difficulties or refuses to come. Very good, Commander. The fake Colbert saluted his chief, but Rugosa held up a hand. You do understand what we are, for want of a phrase, playing for here. Colbert nodded. You know that there are those of us that will always follow you, Commander. Thank you. However, you understand the threat. Colbert's brow furrowed. Threat? Bruno and his friend were going to, how shall I put it, destroy us. So instead of being the victim, I turned Rose Dream on them. You've seen Bruno. That would have been us. I couldn't let that happen. In order to ensure that it never does, we must have an antidote. That is why we need Biggs. However, I want him to come of his own volition. We can't afford to make him suspicious. Only use force if there is no other way. Where are the rest of the 454 staff? In the main auditorium. They are being resacrinated. Rogoza crossed to a monitor and dialed up a channel. On the screen could be seen rows and rows of raked seats, upon each of which sat a uniformed member of the ESS staff, their eyes blank but open. Each of them wore light headphones, and each of them had a glazed expression. They are joining us whether they wish it or not. In a short time they will do anything for the Rose, all of them. We shall return to Rosa Damascena and we shall be the Lords then. We shall become the masters of Betus. And then, the universe. As you say, Commander. Now go and bring me Professor Biggs. On ESS 454, Biggs and the Doctor were getting on like a house on fire. You know Max Pevenkov's work with the distillation of orchids? Of course. Even those ancient and early experiments have proven unusually helpful when exploring alien plant forms. And Frank's theories linking the chemical properties in combating human diseases? Both great pioneers. <laughs> they, they were. They were. Uh, how I wish I could have met them. Ah, uh, yes. Well, quite. <clears throat> oh, this is marvellous, Professor. He clapped him on the back happily. Jamie and Zoe, meanwhile, had found a uniform stall. It was in a vestibule off one of the main security rooms, where banks of screens watched the empty corridors and living quarters. They had dressed themselves up in the very smart uniforms of the ESS staff and were admiring themselves in front of a mirror. How do I look? Very elegant. It suits you, and it makes a change not being confronted by your knees. What's wrong with my knees? Oh, nothing. It's just nice to see you in trousers. They make your legs look longer, more stylish. Hey, my kilt is stylish. I didn't say it wasn't. I was actually paying you a compliment. Oh, oh right. Uh, uh, sorry, thank you. Uh, and you look pretty good too. 
Oh, thanks. Zoe smiled happily. They returned to the security room and looked at the screens. Jamie pointed at one of the monitors. Hey, look! We can see the doctor! One image clearly showed the doctor and professor still engaged in their conversation. Zoe laughed. <laughs> I wonder if they even notice we left. Jamie spotted something else. Another screen was showing some strange new arrivals in one of the outer corridors. Hey, do you think that's a chap coming to fetch the professor? A colbear, wasn't it? It could be. But who are those weird creatures with him? Trouble if you ask me. The human at the head of the group was flanked by two greeny-brown-skinned creatures with large heads. Both these strange beings held powerful-looking guns in their hands. I wonder if we can get sound. Zoe moved to the console and turned a couple of dials experimentally. After a moment, a slightly distorted French voice could be heard coming from the screen. Those mariners, I do not want the professor to see you unless I give you a signal via your relays. I shall now go and fetch him. Keep close, but out of sight. Once we are back on Rose Mariners, return to your usual duties. The creatures he called Rose Mariners nodded and appeared to salute with their weapons. Rose Mariners? I wonder what they are. Wherever they are, they're clearly up to no good. Oh, they're right by the lab. We'll never get back in time to warn the doctor and the professor. Then I think we should stay here, watch and see what happens. Whatever those creatures are, they're armed, and I haven't seen anything resembling a weapon among the stuff here. Switching from screen to screen, monitor to monitor, Jamie and Zoe watched as Colbert headed to the common room. At the doors to the room, the two armed aliens slipped quietly out of sight, and Colbert rapped on the door. Inside, the professor and the doctor ceased the conversation and opened the door. Ah, uh, Monsieur Colbert, allow me to introduce the doctor, a fellow scientist. Colbert barely reacted as he entered the room. There has been a change of plan. Earth is sending you to help the Rose Mariners with a major plant problem. Oh, oh, oh really? Oh, what a shame. It will appear you're straight back to work and I'll just uh, get in the way. Well, <clears throat> it's been delightful to see you, Professor Biggs. I hope we uh, meet up again soon. Uh, I must be off. Colbert held up his hand and, somewhat apologetically, told him that would not be possible. I think Commander Rugosa would very much like to meet a colleague of Professor Biggs. Uh, just to greet you, you understand. Then you can take his good wishes back to Earth, and they will know that the new arrangements are working. You must come with us, Doctor. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I suppose. He looked at Biggs, who was looking at Colbert with mild surprise. You are taking this very calmly, Colbert. I didn't think you were a man who liked the unexpected. And I must confess, this business with the Rosemariners seems more than a little out of the ordinary. Perhaps you can contact your headquarters from here, Professor. Colbert interrupted again. Oh, that won't be necessary. I've already been in touch. Everything has been explained. The decision was taken that we should help if we can. It is your reputation, Professor, that has brought the Rosemariners here. Everything has been agreed with headquarters back on Earth. But the closure... Colbert shook his head. It was my misunderstanding, Professor. I'm sorry. We're only temporarily closing down because you have to deal with their rose problem in their laboratories. The transfer of plants posed too great a difficulty for it to be handled here. Are we allowed to know the nature of these problems? 
Kelber shrugged. Not being a scientist, I felt it was better that such details be explained to Professor Biggs directly by Commander Rugosa. But I understand it has intergalactic consequences if we do not come to their assistance. And there I was, putting you down as the strict bureaucrat, and all the time you were flexible. Oh, Professor, you pull my leg. Kilbert laughed. But this is like a mission of mercy, shall we say. Then in that case, Doctor, please, would you join me? I would value your advice when we learn the nature of these problems. Biggs and the Doctor exchanged a look. Uh, very well, I, I shall. Uh, thank you. Kilbert smiled. Then, if you will kindly follow me... Up in the security room, Jamie and Zoe were still watching and listening. What should we do now? Oh, when they go, we follow. And I sort of feel we'll be safer to stay dressed in this new uh, get-up. It was the same as that of the Frenchman. Precisely. On the screens, the Doctor and Biggs marched down the corridor behind the doppelganger Colbert. Unaware of the armed Rose Mariners falling in behind them as they passed. security room, Jamie and Zoe were still watching and listening. What should we do now? Oh, when they go, we follow. And I sort of feel we'll be safer to stay dressed in this new uh, get-up. It was the same as that of the Frenchman. Precisely. On the screens, the Doctor and Biggs marched down the corridor behind the doppelganger Colbert. Unaware of the armed Rose Mariners falling in behind them as they passed. The ugly creatures followed but kept a discreet distance so as not to be observed. As Colbert, the Doctor and Biggs neared the airlock, where a link had been formed with Rose Marinus, the Professor suddenly stopped. Ah, I just remembered. Doctor, there is something I should show you before we leave. He waved vaguely at the Frenchman. Colbert, wait here, will you? There's something the Doctor should see. The ersatz Colbert didn't approve. I don't think we should keep Commander Rugosa waiting. Professor Biggs ignored him, took the doctor by the arm and started to lead him away. Wait there, Colbert. This won't take a moment. Come, doctor. The doctor and the professor slipped quickly into a nearby laboratory, closing the door behind them firmly and locking it. Up in the security room, Jamie and Zoe were puzzled by what they'd seen. What do you think they're up to? Well, goodness knows. But there doesn't seem to be a sound link for the professor's laboratory. The doctor's friends turned to look worriedly at the monitors. I wonder what they're talking about. Colbert, meanwhile, was communicating with Ragosa via relay. There seems to be a hold-up, he said nervously, accent faltering momentarily. I will have the professor with you presently. See that you do. Colbert broke the connection. 
then made a few urgent hand gestures to his armed colleagues to ensure that they stayed out of sight. Inside the laboratory, the professor was talking quietly and urgently with the doctor. Doctor, there is something very odd here. Yeah, yes, I'd noticed that myself. Something has happened to Colbert here. was always as an awkward man, an absolute stickler for correct procedure. But today, it seems as though all procedures have gone out the window. That could be because that man out there is not Monsieur Colbert. What do you mean? Of course it's Colbert. I've had to work with him for the past couple of years, so do you think I wouldn't know the man? Maybe someone has drugged him or affected his mind in some way. Is your Monsieur Colbert an alien? Certainly not. He's French. Though he has worked for intergalactic research as an administrator for several years. And that confirms it. Confirms what? What are you talking about? My dear Professor, if you look, you will see that he has no pores in his skin. Humans from Earth all have pores in their skin. What? He doesn't? I don't understand. What is all this about? I've no idea, but we shall no doubt find out presently. But they must not suspect that we know Colbert is not Colbert. Doctor, I'm feeling out of my depth here. Which is why I shall stay with you, if I'm permitted, until the situation becomes clearer. Now, there's uh, only so long we can stay here without arousing suspicion. I suggest that we rejoin Monsieur, not exactly Colbert, and follow him into Rosemary's. Is that wise? Oh, I suspect not. But I've been in far worse scrapes than this before, and always got out of them. And uh, <clears throat> I have two very resourceful friends still around, should we need assistance. So, uh, come along. Together, they marched out of the laboratory and rejoined Colbert. Uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, I'm so glad you told me all those amazing facts about um, <clears throat> those things. Are you quite finished? Colbert moodily inquired. We must hurry. Oh, oh, quite right, quite right. Uh, uh, carry on, uh, Monsieur Colbert. <laughs> carry on. They headed off into Rosemariners, the two Rosemariners following some distance behind. Up in the security suite, Zoe and Jamie prepared to leave. We must be careful not to get too close. It's all right. There must be several members of the ESS staff there on this Rosemariners. And those funny green people were told to return to normal duties once they got back. Aye, aye, so they were. Let's go then. The two youngsters made their way cautiously down to the airlock, out of ESS 454 and into the huge space satellite. Colbert led Professor Biggs and the Doctor through the shiny silver corridors of Rosemarinus, through large rooms and enmeshed areas. The Doctor took in his surroundings curiously. Looking a research station, he muttered under his breath to the professor. Here. Colbert came to a halt and gestured into a new room. The Rosarium. The doctor and the professor passed through the door, leaving the Frenchman rigid outside. Even the doctor was stunned by the sight that greeted them. The most beautiful roses imaginable surrounded them in inconceivable numbers, stretching from wall to wall, from floor to ceiling, as far as the eye could see. The bulky, muscular figure of Commander Rugosa was waiting for them. As they entered the room, he was facing away, staring at the enormous, colourful wall of plants. But at the sound of their approach, he turned to greet them. Ah, Professor Biggs. This is indeed a privilege. And your colleague, of course. Colbert told me you were coming. He didn't tell me your name, though, Doctor... Mm, I'm delighted to, to make your acquaintance, Commander. He thrust out his hand and shook Rugosus firmly. 
Yeah, I, I have heard so much about your planet, but never been able to uh, <clears throat> visit it. Rugosa appeared somewhat bemused by the Doctor's lack of answer. We must try to rectify that, Doctor. Before the Doctor could avoid the question again, the Professor somewhat nervously spoke up, trying to find out what was going on. Commander, I understand you have a problem which you think I may be able to resolve. Rigosa continued to stare at the Doctor coldly for a few moments, but then turned to Biggs and smiled broadly. Indeed we do. I suspect, Professor Biggs, that you are that rare creature in the intergalactic community, one who is able to solve that which to the rest of us are intractable problems. That's very flattering, Commander, but what is it that you want? I've been forced to close down several experiments and certain high-level research in order to deal with your problem. Please let me know what it is. Of course, Professor. I am sure what to us is a serious problem to you will be but nothing. However, it could have grave intergalactic consequences. May I explain the history behind our situation? Of course. Yeah, I'd be delighted to hear it as well. Very well. He gestured them to a low bench on one side of the Rosarium and sat down beside them. Some time ago, our planet, Rosa Damascena, suffered an outbreak of appalling and a vicious revolution. A small number of criminals tried to destroy our way of life for their own purposes. Their coup, which attempted to take over the planet, failed. They were caught and imprisoned. Certain of our scientists, fearful for our existence, ventured to travel to distant planets and found a rose that we did not have. The doctor looked alarmed and couldn't stop himself from blurting out a name. Not the Rosa Toxicaira! Ragosa tilted his head curiously. You know of it? The doctor looked at Ragosa with suspicion his brow furrowing with the certainty that was something very, very wrong with the whole of the setup. It only grows on the planet Kemble. It is one of the many carnivorous plants from that poisonous place. Ragosa spread his arms warmly. I bow to your superior knowledge, Doctor. I know none of that, but if you know it well, it is perhaps fortuitous that you are here, for you can help the Professor find an antidote to its properties. An antidote? Of course. In their innocence, the Rosa Damascene scientists developed a serum from that poisonous plant. We call it Rose Dream. It was intended to control the most vicious of criminals and no one else. Rose Mariners do not believe in killing as punishment. Rose Dream sends its... Uh, patients, shall we call them? It sends them into a catatonic state. They are quite peaceful and yet able to take instruction and work. It appeared to be the answer when dealing with the most extreme violent cases. Unfortunately, a certain amount of the serum has been stolen or lost, we don't know which. If it is replicated and used elsewhere, you can imagine the chaos that could be caused across the universe. We need an antidote. None of this has come before the intergalactic councils. Until we know whether it is a crime or merely a mistake, it would be irresponsible to spread fear throughout the universe. A mistake? The missing quantity of Rose Dream may merely have been mislaid. It is a comparatively small quantity, but it may be out there unregulated, unmonitored and unrecorded, yet not impossible to copy. Surely you can see, Professor Biggs, why it is essential that we have an antidote. Commander, you expect Professor Biggs to find an antidote to some serum produced from unpleasant bits of vegetable matter bred and developed by the Daleks, and to do it overnight? Not overnight, Doctor. 
But we want him to develop it, certainly, and we must keep you both here until he does. That sounds to me like a threat, Commander. My dear Doctor, forgive me. We come to you as petitioners. If anything I have said has upset you, I unconditionally apologize. We are looking to you to help us solve a problem which contains this threat. We have to find an antidote to the monster we ourselves have created, and we believe that Professor Biggs is the only scientist in the universe capable of doing this. Thank you, Commander. That's generous. But I shall need some of my colleagues to help me. Surely the Doctor here, who seems to be aware of this rose, will be an invaluable help? More so, I imagine, than any number of your colleagues. And furthermore, I have arranged for one of our Rose Dreamers to be a lab assistant. He has worked in the laboratory before. He was once a truly vicious serial criminal of the worst kind, but now, under Rose Dream, he is quite harmless and servile. He will perform any task exactly as you wish. You have only to tell him what you want. But I can foresee a situation where, where I... Where you might require other scientifically experienced assistance? Then you shall have it. But can you not make an assessment with the doctor as to what and how much assistance you will require after you have explored the parameters of the problem? Biggs glanced at the doctor, who indicated he was comfortable with the idea. I, uh, I think that's fair, Professor. Biggs nodded and turned back to Ragosa. I suppose so. Then come with me. After showing them the plants they had to work with and explaining the rigorous safety procedures they would have to follow, Rugosa led them from the room and into a laboratory that adjoined the Rosarium. The equipment was extensive and highly advanced. To one side of the room stood a lone rose mariner. Thinner than the commander, this new alien appeared to be in a catatonic state. Rugosa walked over to the motionless figure. This is Bruno, your assistant. Whilst he may appear to be in a trance, he is perfectly able to take simple instructions and perform straightforward tasks. Thus, he took a step back and gestured to some of the lab equipment. Bruno, pick up that microscope. I obey. With a haltering, shuffling step, Bruno moved over to the lab table and picked up the large device. Despite its obvious weight, he managed this with ease. Rugosa pointed across the room. And place it on that table there. I obey. Again, Brunon followed the instructions, again seemingly with little effort. The doctor nodded. Hmm, interesting. Now at least he can repay his debt to society. If there is nothing else, I will leave you to your studies. Hopefully you can be of some use to us very soon. With a curt nod, Rugosa marched from the room. The doctor watched him go and then turned to Biggs. Well, I... I suppose we'd better get to work. Meanwhile, Zoe and Jamie were searching the satellite, looking for the doctor and the professor. The place was vast, with long labyrinthine corridors and multiple levels. Every now and again they had to duck into rooms and slip down side passages in order to avoid the wandering parties of Rose Mariners marching through the ship. As one group passed, Jamie furrowed his brow. There's something weird about these creatures. They, they, they seem so regimented. Yes. Yet it's not military, or at least it doesn't give that impression. 
Ah, it, it's, it's more like the, the prisoners. You're right. This is like a sort of space hulk or prison ship. Aye, but there's no bars or locked gates. Well, there's no need. There's nowhere to escape to. Quick, in here. There's another lock coming. They slipped through a door and immediately found that they'd entered a huge auditorium. Zoe gasped at what they saw. <gasps> Jamie, look! There were tiers of seats rising away from them, all of which were occupied by either human beings or other creatures that were not rosemariners. All of them had a set of headphones fixed over their ears and wore a bracelet of briar thorn. What on earth? Beside Jamie and Zoe at the front of the room was a huge screen on which all sorts of shapes and colours were being projected, forever changing, pulsating, making abstract patterns. The audience watched this sequence of imagery fixedly, but with blank eyes. The headphones must be for the soundtrack. Jamie nudged the nearest person, a youthful-looking blonde man. He didn't react. A bigger push, and whilst the young man moved with the impact, he then simply adjusted back into the blank, upright, concentrated position. I wonder. Zoe removed the man's headphones, and his head immediately fell forward, his eyes closing. She quickly replaced the headphones, and after a few moments, the youth's head started to raise itself gradually. His eyes widened, and he returned to his former position of open-eyed staring at the screen. They're like those dolls which shut their eyes when you lay them down. They're being brainwashed. They're total zombies. There has to be a reason for this. Zoe, look how they're dressed. It's the same as us. They're the staff of the space station. That could explain why we haven't seen any of them till now. They're all here. They stared fearfully at the catatonic collective. Zoe shrugged, looking for the bright side. At least if anyone comes, we can easily hide amongst them. Suddenly, they were surprised by an unexpected noise from the other side of the room. Somewhere, a woman was rousing. <laughs> Doris? Doris, what's going on? Oh, I must say, I was glad of those 40 winks. Jamie spotted her first. He hurried up the ranks of seats towards a middle-aged woman, sat to the side of one row. She'd obviously just woken up. Hi, uh, I'm Jamie. Who are you? I'm Felicity, love. Don't you recognise me? Me and Doris have been doing the catering for years now. Who are you? Well, you're obviously in security, but I don't remember you. And you're a pretty young man. I think I would have. Jamie shuffled uncomfortably as Zoe stifled a giggle. Uh, well, uh, thanks, but, but can you tell me what's going on here? Felicity yawned again and stretched in her seat. Oh, what do you mean? We all had to watch and listen, that's what they said. Oh, but it wasn't for me, love. My feet were killing me. So I just sat here and took a nap. Oh, I feel much better now. They were bustling us about like nobody's business, and I don't like to be rushed around. Have you seen that rubbish they put on that screen? It makes me giddy just looking at it. How long have you been here? Felicity shook herself and turned to look at her neighbour. Who knows, love? But we're off back to Earth soon, they say. Hey, Doris, wake up. She nudged at the woman next to her, but there was no reaction. 
I don't think she will wake up. She's being brainwashed. Felicity turned back to him in confused incomprehension. What? Zoe had joined them and was leaning over her. We think you're all being brainwashed. We don't know why, but we intend to find out. Do you want to stay here or come with us? Felicity wrinkled her brow in bemusement, still clearly half asleep and thought about the question. Oh, I think I should stay with Doris. She said eventually. Poor old duck. When she comes round, she might be scared. After all, she ain't got much brain to wash. Do you know who the greeny-brown creatures are? The Rose Mariners? Well, apparently, we've got to help them. Monsieur Colbert, he's our CEO, he went off with their head bloke, um, Rug... Uh, Rughead, whatever his name is. We were all brought in here and told to sit and watch and listen. I just pretended and I nodded off. We were supposed to wear the headsets and put on a bracelet thing. I dropped mine. I don't know where it went. I didn't like to make a fuss. Everyone but you has gone into a coma. What you should do is try and remove as many of the bracelets and headphones as you can. It must be down to them. Felicity thought about this for a moment, then shrugged. All right. I'll take off the bracelets if it'll help. It may do. Whereas we've got to find the doctor and maybe track down this Cobra chappy too. Yes. Good luck, Felicity. Oh, thanks, dearie. Jamie and Zoe slipped out of the auditorium to continue their search for the Doctor, as behind them, Felicity started to pull the headphones off her friend. Doris? Now, Doris, wake up! In the laboratory off the Rosarium, the Doctor and Professor Biggs were already studying the properties of the Rosa Toxichira. The Professor looked across at the Time Traveller. You know, Doctor, I don't think that this is as complex as the Commander would have us believe. Hmm. I suspect there are no scientists on board this satellite. The spectroscopic analysis of that rose from Kemble shows that it deserves its name, but the counter-agents to its poisons is present in its own leaves. Exactly. What is going on here, Doctor? Well, we know Culber is not the real Culber, though what they have done with the real one is rather the question now, isn't it? This is all very strange. Nothing like this has ever happened to me. Oh, it happens to me all too frequently. Now, <clears throat> I do hope Jamie and Zoe are all right. Good heavens, I'd forgotten about them. Oh, they're, they're young and can be quite clever at getting into, but more to the point, also out of trouble. They could be very useful to us, though uh, they may still be on the Earth station. Yes, we'll have to wait and see. He returned his gaze to the plant cuttings on the table ahead of him. The subjects of his conversation, meanwhile, had found themselves standing on a high gallery round a great open space. They looked down over the rail. A long way below them was a large number of the Rose Mariners marching back and forth. A thought appeared to strike Zoe. You know you said that this place was like a prison. Well, that looks like the exercise yard down there. I saw it does. But this place is so vast, I, I don't know how we're going to find the Doctor and the Professor. Well, we've got to try. There have to be labs somewhere, and that's where they would take them. That Frenchman said as much. Hi, you're right. I really don't fancy being caught by those weird green creatures. I must go canny. I think I'm getting a feel of the place. The two of them retreated from the edge and slipped back into the maze of corridors. Jamie led the way. After many minutes, they eventually came to a stop outside a door with strange hieroglyphics on it. Zoe ran a hand over the images, curiously. 
Are these the same as those on the doors where we found the space station staff? I don't think so. If you're saying that I've been leading you around in circles. That's not what I meant at all. I wonder if they mean it's important. She leant over to the door and was about to open it when Jamie stopped her. Uh, careful. We don't know if there's any of those weird beasts in there. Good point. Slowly, then. Ever so gently, they eased the door open a little way. They leant in and listened carefully. I can't hear anything. Me neither. I think it must be empty. They opened the doors a little wider and slipped through. But before they could shut them, they were immediately stunned into silence by the amazing view that appeared before them. Great heavens! Wow! In the Rosemariner's control room, Colbert was reporting with some urgency to Commander Ragosa. he just returned from a trip to ensure that everything had been working normally on the ESS-454, but had found some strange new data coming into the command deck whilst he was there. I tell you, boss, I can't make head nor tail of it. The messages appear to be in some sort of code. Then you will have to take one of the station staff and get them to translate them. But they are all being resacrinated. Ragosa rose to his feet angrily. That shouldn't matter. They may not swear loyalty to us, but we haven't damaged any practical knowledge. We wanted them to work both for and with us. If they knew the codes before, they will know them now. You sure, boss? Of course I'm sure, and don't call me boss. I've told you before. Colber bowed sharply. Sorry, but Commander. Ragosa strode off around the control room, leaving his subordinate to follow him. Find a member of their staff. Make sure they work in the communications or security details. Take them with you and get the information. Yes, Commander. Ragosa stared at a monitor on which a familiar blue-green planet was displayed. We don't want Earth interfering at this stage. Zoe and Jamie leant back on the doors they'd just come through, completely awestruck. I've never seen anything like it. Me neither. There must be thousands of them. Uh, hundreds of thousands. Well, now we know why it's called Rose Marinus. They'd found their way into the Rosarium, the huge gallery where the roses that were lifeblood to the Rose Mariners were bred and stored. I wonder how far it goes. They moved deeper into the room, through banks of roses, smelling the occasional flower, touching the odd leaf and petal. It's beautiful. It's like the most wonderful rose garden that's ever been. Hi. Ahead, unbeknownst to them, the Rosa Toxicaira that had taken Colbert's life breathed hungrily. The two youngsters moved slowly towards it. Not far away in the laboratory, the doctor was absorbed in his study, little knowing that his two companions were so close. He turned to Biggs excitedly. I, I think we've done it. This appears to neutralize Rose Dream. He held up a vial of distilled liquid. It would seem so. It has all the correct characteristics. I think we may congratulate ourselves. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, no, my dear Biggs. It's me who should thank you. I so rarely get a chance to work in a proper laboratory, and even more rarely with so stimulating a mentor. Oh, you, you flatter me, Doctor. You're almost as bad as that dreadful Ragosa, though in your case, I'm happy to accept your kind words. The Doctor clapped his hands delightedly. Then he caught sight of their comatose assistant, and a thought appeared to cross his mind. You know, I'm, I'm tempted to try the stuff out on Brunon here. He indicated their lab assistant, who stood obliviously still, just waiting for instructions. 
Let's see if it uh, wakes him up. Biggs shuddered. Didn't Ragosa say something about him being a killer? Perhaps we'd better find a more suitable guinea pig. No, no, no. I wonder if they, they've used it on your Monsieur Colbert. They've got a replicator. It's round the corner in the other part of the laboratory. Poor Colbert. We must find out what has happened to him. But before they could talk further, at that moment, they were interrupted by the most terrible of screams. They spun round and rushed to the exit. What on earth is going on? yelled the doctor as he burst through the doors into the Rosarium. Over there! Biggs pointed across the room. A smile broke on the doctor's face. Zoe! he cried. But his happiness was short-lived as his friend appeared to be clearly in some distress. Doctor! Doctor! It's Jamie! The rose has got him! The doctor's initial delight at seeing his young friend again was immediately swept aside by the sight of the horror unfolding before him. Across the other side of the room, Jamie was having a furious fight with the tentacle-like briars of the Rosa Toxicaira. The plant pulled him deeper and deeper, and Jamie yelled out in pain. Doctor, it's going to kill me! The tentacles enveloped him. Scott shouted out for help. Don't let go, Zoe! It's taking me over! Doctor and Biggs watched the scene in horror for a few moments, but then the Doctor leapt into action. Wait for me! He ran from the other side of the room and grabbed hold of Zoe, reaching around her and adding his strength to hers to counteract the progress the plant was making, drawing Jamie into its clutches. Doctor! We're not stopping it! The Doctor turned and called out to Biggs. Professor, get the secateurs and some gauntlets! Right! Professor Biggs dashed back into the laboratory and almost immediately reappeared, pulling on the heavy gloves, the secateurs under his arm. As the combined strength of Zoe and the Doctor slowly pulled Jamie back a little way from the plant, the Doctor shouted again, Cut away what you can, Professor! Biggs darted across and he snipped quickly and efficiently at the briars that were holding the young Scott. That's a ticket, the Doctor cried as the plant started to release its grip. Doctor, he's coming loose! Doctor! I don't think I don't think I can fight much longer. The doctor looked at his young friend worriedly. The poison's getting to him. He'll fall unconscious. We must hurry! Nearly done, Doctor. Eventually, with a last victorious heave, Zoe and the doctor were able to pull their companion out from the grasp of the poisonous and vicious rose. There. We, we've done it. But their triumph was short-lived. Jamie dropped to the floor, unconscious. Doctor, what's happened? 
Is he all right? The doctor knelt beside his body, checking for a pulse and signs of life. His expression turned grave. He's, he's in a coma. No! Quickly, we need to get these fawns out of him. Get rid of the briars. They're still poisoning him. They searched the motionless figure swiftly, ripping out thorns and tearing off the last remaining briars, continuing to clasp at his skin. To the laboratory. We can look after him there. Between them, the doctor and Biggs swung up the body and waddled awkwardly for the next room, Zoe opening doors ahead of them. What do we do, doctor? Get Bruno. He's stronger than both of us. Of course. Bruno, help us here. I obey. The servile Rose Mariner moved to join them and with one easy gesture lifted the sleeping Scot over his shoulder. Where would you like me to put him? Uh, one of the beds, uh, uh, over there. I obey. Brunon turned, marched across the room and deposited Jamie onto one of the cots in a side pod. Zoe followed and looked down at the sleeping figure. Will he be all right, Doctor? Uh, well, we can give him some of the antidote, but until he comes out of his coma, I can't know what damage has been done. I suspect the rose will have poisoned him very badly. It would be its natural reaction when attacked. Oh, it won't kill him. I don't think so. Zoe, did you get scratched by the thorns? No. Good. That rose was developed by the Daleks. Oh, the Daleks again. Don't worry, Zoe. They're not here. It was one of several plants which acted as guardians for them on the planet Kemble. All the plants they developed for such a purpose were carnivorous crossbreeds. You mean they eat people? No, not necessarily. But they poison them, then either feed off them or suck the juices from them. Unfortunately, when the Rose Mariners collected some Rosa Toxicira seed and grew them, they didn't realise they were breeding their own destruction. Of course, the Rose Mariners. In all the hurry, I'd forgotten. Forgotten what? Well, you do realise you can't trust these people. Certainly they appear to have replaced my commanding officer, Monsieur Corbert, with an alien imposter at the very least. You know this place is a prison. What? They move creatures around in chain gangs. Jamie and I have seen the exercise yard. They keep everyone under guard. It's enormous, and they're brainwashing the staff from the Earth Station. Both the Doctor and the Professor looked at Zoe in disbelief. A prison? Are you sure? Well, if it isn't, it's giving a very good imitation of one. My dear Zoe, I'm sure we can trust your judgment. Now, what more have you found since you've been here? You mean other than rose plants that want to kill us? Yeah, the Professor and I were brought directly into this part of their satellite. We didn't get to see much of the structure at all. What else have you seen? We, we need to know. I've told you all I know. The doctor rested his hand lightly on her shoulder. That's uh, quite all right then, Zoe. I'm sure we've uh, enough to be working from. Zoe turned back to her sleeping friend. Sorry. Will Jamie be all right? Well, uh, I, I, I'm sure he will be. We have found an antidote. But it needs testing. You mean you don't know? My dear, the Doctor and I have almost certainly found an antidote to Rose Dream, which is a created serum from these vicious plants. We hope it will also cure those who have been directly poisoned by them, but until we use it, we do not know how long it takes to act or how effective it is. Now, I've just given Jamie a shot. If it works, we'll know soon enough. Uh, keep an eye on him, Bruno. The servant nodded. I obey. As they left the laboratory and headed back to the Rosarium, Biggs decided to change the subject to another issue that had been troubling him. 
But Zoe, tell me, you said they were brainwashing the staff from ESS 454. Yes, in a great place like a cinema. They were all in a trance, watching a hypnotic film. My poor friends. All of them? Well, actually, no. Not quite all of them. There was one woman who wasn't affected. Really? Why not? Well, she wasn't wearing headphones like the others, or wearing this sort of thorn bracelet they all had on, too. We told her to remove them from the others. You must take me there, Zoe. Doctor, give me some of the antidote. I think we're going to need some reinforcements here. Of course. The doctor poured some of the liquid into a container for his colleague. Uh, but remember, until Jamie wakes out of his coma, we won't know how effective it is. I'm going to have to take that chance. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll stay here to keep an eye on Jamie. I don't want Commander Rigosa turning up unannounced and finding him now, do we? Uh, Zoe, will you be all right taking Mr. Biggs to see the ESS staff? Of course. You sure you remember the way? Doctor, tell him. <laughs> Zoe has a better memory than I do, Professor, and probably better than yours. She'll find your way. Very well. Lead on. Follow me. But remember, be careful and quiet. There are rose mariners about. Biggs nodded and put a finger to his lips to indicate understanding. Zoe led him across the rosarium and stealthily out of the door. Behind them, the doctor returned to the pod off the laboratory where he found Jamie still sleeping, apparently peacefully. Brunon remained standing guard over the young man as he had been instructed. When the doctor approached, the Rose Mariner stepped forward to block his path. Oh, no, no, it's all right, Brunong. The doctor waved his hands nervously at the creature. I'm, uh, I'm just checking. Brunong seemed to consider this for a few moments before stepping back and allowing the doctor to approach. The doctor touched Jamie's shoulder gently, but there was no reaction. Nothing. Hmm. He shrugged. And then a thought crossed his mind and he looked at Brunong. Hmm. I wonder. Professor Biggs and Zoe made their way cautiously down various corridors and passageways, Zoe leading the way with brisk efficiency. Sometimes Biggs had to race to keep up. It's just round the next corner. Good. The professor replied, clutching at the developing stitch in his stomach. They turned the bend at the end of the corridor and ran straight into Ragoza and Colbert. My dear Professor Biggs, what are you doing here? Commander, Monsieur Colbert, uh... Biggs' mouth opened and closed silently as he tried to formulate an answer. But Colbert, however, was looking hard at Zoe and spoke before the professor's desperation became obvious. Who is this? Zoe glanced at the flustering Biggs. Hadn't he said that this Colbert was an alien imposter? Maybe she could use that to their advantage. She leapt in quickly. Don't you recognize me, Monsieur Colbert? Zoe Harriet? Now it was the fake Frenchman's turn to stumble. Uh, of course, he said after a moment. I know you well, Zoe. Zoe smiled. Her gamble had worked. Rogoza turned to her. Why aren't you with the rest of the ESS 454 staff? I was asleep. By this point, Biggs had realized what she was doing and decided to continue playing the intruder to their advantage. Don't you remember, Colbert? The panic in Colbert's eyes was obvious. But Zoe and the Professor pretended not to notice. Uh, remember what? The Professor smiled warmly and helpfully. It was you. 
She had done a triple shift and you gave her permission to take a double rest period. She was forgotten in the rush to evacuate and left to sleep. She found her way to the Rosarium and I am now taking her to join the others in the auditorium, isn't it? My dear professor, I see you are a positive father to those who work with you. Rugosa smiled and faced Zoe. And tell me, my dear, which department were you with? Oh, uh, communications, Zoe said, plumping for the first department she could think of that all spaceships required. Rugosa shifted position and took on a new, approving stance. Excellent. That is a useful coincidence. We were just looking for someone to help out in that area. You will be able to help Monsieur Colbert. Zoe's satisfied grin froze on her face. Uh, oh, yes, of course. You are just the person we wanted to find. You can be the second signature. The what? Monsieur Colbert has to read and answer some coded messages from Earth. They require confirmation. You will be the second signature so that they know the communications are secure. He turned to Colbert with a smile. There you are, Colbert. A security assistant without having to ask for volunteers. Colbert was unconvinced. But, Commander... Rugosa fixed him with a glare. It is simpler this way. Colbert held his gaze steadily, then took a deep breath and capitulated. Of course. Miss, uh, Harriet. Yes, yes, Harriet, of course, I, I knew that. He gestured at the corridor behind. If you would come with me. Zoe turned to the professor and appealed for help silently. Biggs looked back. No! What is wrong, Professor? As you know, interplanetary and intergalactic communications have to be double-signed. Uh, certainly, but I would be happier if you took a more senior member of our communication staff. Miss Harriet is an excellent and hard-working member, but still very junior. Rugosa considered this, then spoke. Colbert. Commander. Are you happy to accept Miss Harriet as your assistant in this instance? Colbert looked Zoe up and down. Uh, yes, Commander. Then there you have your answer, Professor Biggs. Colbert is happy to accept Miss Harriet as his second signature, so she will go. In the meantime, let you and I return to the Rosarium, where you can explain to me what you have achieved so far in your search for the antidote to the poisons of Rosa Toxicaira. Rugosa took Professor Biggs' arm and they headed back to the Rosarium. Biggs took a last glance over his shoulder to catch Zoe doing precisely the same as Colbert hustled her away back into Space Station 454. Then he turned a corridor and could see her no more. In the laboratory, the doctor was checking up on Jamie when he heard people come into the Rosarium. I, I'm, I'm sure that's the professor and Rugosa. What's happened to Zoe? In a panic, he hurried out, just managing to stop Rugosa and Biggs from entering the laboratory. Ah, Professor Biggs, I, I think we may be onto something, but it's going to take time. He stopped and looked at Rugosa in feigned surprise, as if he'd only just noticed him. And Commander Rugosa, well, what a pleasant surprise. To what do we owe this honour of a visit? He paused and leant in confidentially. Or is it that you don't trust scientists? What can you mean, Doctor? I met the Professor taking a member of ESS staff back to join the others. 
I am delighted to hear that you're making progress. Taking a member of... The doctor gulped and then forced himself to grin. And uh, what, what happened to her, precisely? Rugosa paused and looked long and hard at the doctor. She is assisting Colbert. But tell me, doctor, why are you so concerned? The doctor hesitated, then adopted a stance of mock indignation. You seem determined to keep us apart from the ESS staff, Commander. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm puzzled as to why. The Rose Mariner spread his arms wide and spoke in a conciliatory tone. Doctor. Doctor, you seem to wish to drive wedges of distrust between Earth and our planet. Why? Earth generously gave us access to the skills of Professor Biggs. We found you, a fellow scientist, with him. We presented you with our problem. We asked for your help and you seemed willing to give it to us. We are grateful for any assistance you can give. Why don't you accept us? The Doctor has a point. You seem determined, Commander, to keep me separated from the staff I normally work with. Do you need them? Have you asked for them? Well, no, but... Professor... Both you and the Doctor here are working on a potentially disastrous intergalactic problem. One which would make the Black Death on Earth ten millennia ago look like a mild epidemic of the common cold. The Doctor greets us with the news that there could be a breakthrough. Yet you both seem more concerned about a junior member of staff who is helping Colbert deal with the ongoing, routine messages between ourselves ESS-454 and Earth. Rugosa opened his long arms and without a smile for once. Why, humans? Why? For a few moments, the Doctor and the Professor eyed each other nervously. Then the Doctor looked back at Rugosa and broke into his most charming grin. Commander, we are used to a busier laboratory. This quiet exclusivity you grant us is perhaps making us jump at shadows. He laughed. We are making good progress and hope very soon to have something to show you in the way of an antidote to Rose Dream. But for now, he started to wave Rugosa out of the door. We must get on. Uh, plenty more work to be done before we can be certain. Rugosa resisted the doctor's suggestion to leave. Doctor, I would like to hear about some of this progress of yours. Yeah, all in good time, Commander, all in good time. The doctor halted in the door as if a thought had just struck him. I think you said you could let us have guinea pigs from your staff to whom we can give Rose Dream and then the antidote? Rugosa looked back at him warily. Of course. Do you want them now? Uh, oh, sh shortly, uh, shortly. Now, <clears throat> if you'll forgive us, the Professor and I have work to do. He held the door open and raised his eyebrows at Ragosa insistently. The Rose Mariner looked between them, clearly mulling it over in his head. Eventually, an insincere smile cracked his stony face as he decided that nothing could be achieved by staying. Very well. I leave you to your work, but there had better be some tangible results soon. Oh, there will be, Commander. There will be. Rugosa gave a small bow, then swung round and marched out. Immediately, the Professor turned to the Doctor. What's happened? The Doctor held up a hand to silence Biggs and waited. After a moment, the distant sound of the Rosarium door closing behind Rugosa could be heard. Then the Doctor turned back to his colleague and, smiling at him, said enigmatically, I have some news of interest. Meanwhile, 
in the communication center of the Earth Station, watched by two armed Rose Mariners. Colbert and Zoe were sorting through the massive messages that had been stored in the past 24 hours. Colbert was shaking his head wearily. I don't understand the coding in some of these messages. Which ones? He waved a few pieces of paper at her. Well, these? They seem to be just messages of goodwill, but they finish with the names of places. I mean, look here. This one finishes with Antwerp, and this one with Norwich, and this with Serbia. Zoe shrugged at him, uncertain, and guessed. I think those may just be personal. Zoe and Colbert were both being very careful with each other, neither wanting to give away that they were totally ignorant about the codes. But, thought Zoe, at least she was aware that Colbert was just as much in the dark as she was. That gave her something of an advantage. Colbert found more papers. But these ones here, from their headings, they would appear to be official. Zoe looked them over. So they are. They're in hieroglyph. Can you translate it? Uh, Zoe flustered. There was only so far she could bluff without knowing the faintest thing about the time period. She'd at least have to make an effort to figure out what the messages genuinely said. Well, I'm not sure. But surely, Monsieur Colbert, a CEO, you hold the code book. The what? The official code book. Colbert looked at her with something approaching horror, desperately scrambling to think of something. Uh, no, 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 not me. The code book is kept by the head of communication. His eyes lit up with a smile. Your boss. Now it was Zoe's turn to panic. Did Colbert know more than she thought? Oh, my boss. Yes, yes, of course he would have it. Yes, Colbert grinned, delighted to have got away with the deception. You don't know where he kept it, I suppose? No, no, I have no idea. Zoe looked helplessly round the room, as if there might be a cupboard or a drawer helpfully marked code book. There wasn't. Colbert shrugged gallically then I suppose we shall have to try and manage without. You must have handled such official material before. Zoe nodded enthusiastically. Oh, yes, but then I would be given the code book. Colbert flung his arms up in exasperation. Always with the code book. Oh. They dropped back down to his side. You must remember something. Zoe smiled and shrugged in what she hoped was an endearing manner. I suppose I could try. She started to study the pictograms, attempting to deduce what they might possibly say. Let's see. In the laboratory, the doctor stepped back from the bed. After a few moments, Jamie sat up groggily. Jamie, you're back. I, I am. And none the worse for your ordeal. The doctor slapped the professor's back in happiness. Jamie rubbed his head. Thanks, Doctor. I don't know what you, you've done, but the, the last thing I recall is a, that evil plant trying to take me over. It nearly did. Yes, at least we know the antidote works now. Welcome back. I wonder if it also has immunisatory properties as well. Uh, Jamie, could I take a blood sample? Uh, sure, if you want. Thank you. As the Professor walked away to collect a syringe, Jamie leant over to the Doctor. Uh, doctor... What does he mean, take blood? Uh, j just uh, roll up your sleeve, there's a good boy. The doctor tapped him gently on the shoulder. Jamie did so as the professor returned. Here we go. He reached out with the syringe. Oh! Thank you. 
Biggs took the blood from Jamie's arm and crossed to a bench. This series of tests should be fascinating. If I'm right, the results would mean... Hold on. He stopped mid-thought as he remembered something. You said you had some news, Doctor. Uh, huh? Oh, oh, but of course. <laughs> yes, so I do. Uh, to tell you the truth, I'd quite forgotten about it in all the excitement. <clears throat> now, what, what, <clears throat> one moment. He marched to the end of the laboratory. Bruno, uh, Bruno, it's time. Uh, can you come here, please? The bulky Rose Mariner walked through into the main lab, clearly no longer in Rose Dream. You revived him, but... Doctor, he's not safe. He's a vicious criminal. Only according to our so-called Commander Ragosa. I'm happy to say the reality is quite different. <clears throat> Gentlemen, I would like you to meet the governor of Rosemarinus Prison, Governor Bruno. What? Bruno stepped forward and made a small bow to Biggs. Professor? He did the same to Jamie. Jamie McCrimmon, isn't it? A pleasure to meet you both. Biggs stared at him, wide-eyed. I don't understand. Rigosa's no military man. He's a criminal, and this is a prison, just like Zoe thought. Uh, Bruno was commander of this great satellite before Rugosa and some of his henchmen broke out and ambushed him and his senior staff. Bruno nodded. They had managed to seal some of the Rose Dream serum from the hospital wing, and instead of us putting them out of harm's way, they neutralized us. We had already put three of the main leaders of the revolt into comas, but we hadn't realized that Rugosa was in fact the primary danger. He needs the antidote to release them. He'll use them as his front men when he returns to take over our planet. So, so you need to recapture this satellite? Brunon agreed. Yes, but with the criminals in charge, we're outnumbered. We'll need the help of the space station staff as well if we're to regain control. I, I think that could be arranged. After all, we did try to do it earlier. The doctor turned to the young Scott. Governor, if you could just uh, <clears throat> stay with me. Uh, Jamie, do you think you're up to showing the professor here the cinema room where they all are? Uh, I, I, of course. Uh, though this time, if you could avoid doing the same as Zoe and letting yourself get captured, it would be a great help. He looked at Biggs. Uh, the two of you together should be able to revive them. There is no time like the present. Brunon pointed at the door. Come along. We'll need a supply of the antidote. Uh -huh, I'll fetch it. Jamie got up and started to collect several vials of the cure from the lab table. Arms full, he and the professor were about to leave when the doctor called them back. Ah, uh, yes, there is just one thing uh, before you both rush off. I think we must get there as soon as possible, Doctor. Oh, yes, but I think I see a way for us to uh, buy time. Come with me. They walked deep into the laboratory towards the replicator. communications room of ESS 454, things were getting increasingly difficult for Zoe. Try though she might, she simply hadn't been able to find a way of translating the various coded messages coming from Earth. She'd used every logical process she could think of, but to no avail. She had only one option left open to her. Monsieur Colbert? He ran over to her, excited. Yes. Have you solved it? I think I may have. Or anyway, I, I seem to be making sense of some of it. Good, good. Colbert could barely contain himself. What does it say? Zoe pointed to the different patterns on the page. You see that sign there, and this one here? Yes, of course I can. Zoe smiled perkily. Their similarity with this sign and the one over here gave me the clue. She took a deep breath, 
and then proceeded to take Colbert on a labyrinthine trek through matching signs, similar signs, signs which could rhyme, and signs which would appear to be the antithesis of each other. A higgledy-piggledy mass of confusion that she hoped would lose the Frenchman completely. And it did. Eventually, he cried out, Stop! Oh, Miss Harriet, what are you trying to say? What am I supposed to read into all this? She grinned her sweetest grin at him. Why? The message, of course. Colbert could barely contain his frustration. Yes, but what is the message? Zoe braced herself and then took her best shot. A complete, desperate bluff. Earth is sending a security fleet. Colbert's eyes widened in horror. What? As they haven't had replies to earlier messages, they're sending a security fleet to make sure that everything's okay. No! Colbert was clearly appalled by the news. Zoe continued. But they don't have to come. We can stop them. What? What? Uh, how? What do you mean? We just send a reply saying that we're cooperating with the Rose Mariners, as they told us to, and everyone is on the satellite. No! Colbert slammed his hands down on her shoulders and pulled her away from the control desk. Do not do that. Not yet. We must wait. I must talk to the commander first. Wait here. Touch nothing. Do nothing. Of course. Colbert was getting out his relay, ordering the other Rose Mariners as he did so. You heard what I said. Ensure that nothing is done, remember? She does nothing. Excuse me. He marched from the room, spitting into his relay as he went. Commander Ragosa? Commander Ragosa, are you there? Zoe couldn't stop herself from grinning. The Rose Mariner guards watching her suspiciously. Oh, sorry. Private joke. In the auditorium on Rose Mariners, Professor Biggs and Jamie were administering the Rose Dream antidote with the assistance of Felicity. Oh, it's a nightmare. Even with the headphones off and the patches removed, I still can't seem to wake them. Biggs nodded gravely. They've got too much of the poison in their system to revive instantly, like you did. But now the antidote has been administered, they should be right as rain in no time. Biggs smiled at her graciously. You've done very well, Felicity. Who knows how far under they'd have been if you hadn't been here. They will all need to sleep for a short time to really come out of their comas, but there should be no lasting effects. Felicity appeared to be delighted. Oh, Professor, I'm so glad to see you. I was so worried when this young man and, and the young girl told me what was happening. Jamie stopped midway through administering the antidote to a middle-aged man. The young girl? Uh, of course, Zoe! I'd forgotten. Where she got the professor? You said Colbert uh, took her. He did. He wanted her help decoding messages. But where? They went back to the space station. It's all right. She knows he's a phony. She was pretty sure she could handle him. Aye. She's always sure. And she's usually wrong. We must go and get her. What, and leave all the staff here? Oh, they'll be fine soon. And it's not like the Rose Mariners have any reason to suspect there's anything happening in here. I suppose not, but there are armed Rose Mariners with her. If we're to attempt to rescue, how do you propose to deal with them? With these! He displayed several of the thorn bracelets in his protectively gloved hand. And with a wee idea of my own. Up in the control centre, Rugosa was receiving Colbert's report. This security force does not bother you? Rugosa shook his head cheerfully. But it is excellent news. You, as their Monsieur Colbert, 
can assure them that all is well, and then bring all their leaders here, where we will put them in Rose Dream. Then we take the rest of their force and Rosacrinate them too. Soon we will be able to send them back to Earth under our control and spread our rule throughout their world. That girl is proving most useful. Get her to find out when they are due to arrive. There's sure to be a message about it somewhere. In the meantime, for goodness sake, maintain communication silence. You can always say that there was a generator failure. I am going to see the professor. I suspect he has created the antidote. Rogoza signed off. He smiled, then laughed. <laughs> Distrust scientists, Doctor? No, I love them. They can never resist trying to give you what you want if they think it will prove how clever they are. Soon the antidote will be mine. And then nothing will be able to stop the intergalactic rule of the Rose Mariners. Get her to find out when they are due to arrive. There's sure to be a message about it somewhere. In the meantime, for goodness sake, maintain communication silence. You can always say that there was a generator failure. I am going to see the professor. I suspect he has created the antidote. Rogoza signed off. He smiled, then laughed. <laughs> Distrust scientist, doctor? No, I love them. They can never resist trying to give you what you want if they think it will prove how clever they are. Soon the antidote will be mine. And then nothing will be able to stop the intergalactic rule of the Rose Mariners. Back on ESS-454, Colbert was trying to get Zoe to provide more detail of the messages from Earth, as Ragoza had instructed. Specifically, he wanted to know when the security fleet was due to arrive. Surely you can find the time-space coordinates. They'll be on the same message, he insisted. Zoe vacillated. Oh, they may be, but I, I can't remember the numerical codes. I always found that difficult. It's why I needed the code book every time. That blasted code book again, Colbert shook his head. I will inform Commander Rogosa. You will? Zoe looked at him pointedly. Monsieur Colbert, I don't understand. Why do you feel the need to clear everything with Commander Rogosa? Colbert frowned. 
What do you mean? Well, you are CEO to the Earth Station, not to Rose Marinus. Surely you don't need to report to the commander of a vessel with no rank over you. Zoe smiled as sweetly and innocently as she could. Colbert paused for a moment, then waved a hand dismissively. You don't understand, but Zoe persisted. What is there to understand? Colbert stared at her intensely, as if wanting to wring her neck, but controlled himself. Intergalactic diplomacy for a start. I have to work closely with the commander and to keep him informed, and not Earth. Colbert had had enough and snapped. Don't be absurd. Just keep looking for those coordinates. We need to know when they will arrive. Zoe scrolled her way through some of the myriad of messages, but since she didn't really know what she was looking for, she knew she wouldn't find it. Perhaps a new approach was called for. Hoping to provoke Colbert into revealing more, possibly even confessing he wasn't Colbert, she pulled a keyboard towards her and with a flurry of touch typing produced a gibberish message on the screen. This unexpected action horrified Colbert. What do you think you're doing? I gave no instructions. Zoe looked at him with a smile as though butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. Oh, just cancelling a date with a friend. Colbert was not amused. You've just sent a message. Yes. He grabbed her hard by the shoulders and she winced. Oh, I had no right to do that, Miss Harriet. You are under arrest. Take her. The two Rose Mariners pulled her away from the screen and held on to her. Zoe was suddenly aware that she might have gone too far. Oh, look, I'm sorry. I was just teasing. I didn't really send a message to anyone. But Colbert's face wrinkled in icy displeasure. You are a very foolish girl, Miss Harriet. Oh, well, thought Zoe, in for a penny. And I don't think you are Monsieur Colbert. Colbert's lip curled in anger. Guards! But before he could say anything more, there was a burst of sound from the corridor outside. People. Dozens and dozens of people. What the? The door was flung open, and Jamie and Professor Biggs burst in. Colbert, what is going on? Why are these creatures holding Miss Harriet? Colbert turned. Professor! Zoe! Hi, Jamie. Biggs addressed the two guarding Rose Mariners. You creatures, let her go. Let her go at once. They looked at Colbert. Why should we? The imposter asked. Don't you hear? All those people outside? We know what's going on, Colbert, or whoever you really are. We've revived the station staff. You'd better let her go. We've got weight of numbers on our side. Colbert considered the situation briefly. Neither he nor his guards were armed, so he was at a clear disadvantage. It appeared that there was only one route available to him. He gave a curt nod to the other Rose Mariners who released Zoe. Oh, Jamie, thank you. Before anyone realized it, Jamie had crossed the room and snapped a thorn bracelet onto each of the guard Rose Mariner's wrists. They drooped and sunk slowly to the floor, falling under Rose Dream. No! cried Colbert. I'm afraid it's your turn now, Monsieur Not Colbert. Jamie was about to place a bracelet on the Frenchman when Big stopped him. A moment, Jamie. Colbert, what is going on? Who are you? Who are you really? Colbert shrugged. The game was up. I'm a Rose Mariner. My name is Ataika, he said, retaining the French accent through force of habit. And where is Colbert? The imposter snorted and grinned evilly. He is finished. Biggs grimaced in anger. What do you mean? 
An expression of mock tearfulness crossed Colbert's face. He was taken by the rose. He could barely stop himself from laughing. I'm so terribly sorry. Biggs was horrified. He was... You... Professor, you can mourn later. For now, you must question this charlatan further. Biggs looked at her, then swallowed hard, nodded and continued. So, what are you doing here? I am to greet the Earth's security fleet when they arrive. The professor didn't understand. What security fleet? The phony CEO shook his head wearily. There's one on their way from Earth. I have to take the leaders to Ragoza. He pointed to Zoe. She can tell you about it. She decoded the message. Professor Biggs turned to Zoe. When does the security force arrive? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I made it up, didn't I? What? Colbert was horrified. You mean there isn't a security force? Not that I know of. I just wanted him to stop trying to make me disentangle all those messages. As the two men looked aghast at Zoe, Colbert noticed something odd about the noise of the crowd outside. He listened carefully. But those are not real people! Before Jamie could stop him, he ran to the other side of the room and flung open the door. The corridor beyond was empty, but for a small device playing a tape. Big smiled. I knew those tapes would come in handy. We didn't have time to revive the whole crew. Colbert looked back at them furiously for a moment. But... But an idea crossed his mind, and he decided to seize his chance. He ran from the room. He mustn't get away. He'll warn Ragoza. I'll get him. Jamie flew from the room into the corridors of Space Station 454. While Jamie was in hot pursuit of the counterfeit Cobra, Ragoza arrived with a small guard of Rose Mariners at the Rosarium to find the Doctor gathering flowerheads from various plants. My dear Doctor, what are you doing? The Doctor turned to him innocently. Uh, Commander, are you getting impatient? I'm afraid that these things take time, you know. Um, Ragosa eyed him carefully. But you are making progress. It would appear so. Where is the Professor? Oh, in the laboratory, I think. I, I haven't seen him in a while. Um, I, I'm merely collecting <clears throat> material to make the antidote somewhat less redolent of the manure heap. You are ready for the trials. I'm sure you've chosen your guinea pigs. Ragosa frowned. What can you mean, Doctor? In fact, I have three Rose Mariners who, if they were not already in Rose Dream, would have volunteered. Let's see the Professor. Ragosa headed for the laboratory, but the Doctor darted into his way. Uh, I, I shouldn't interrupt the Professor just at the moment. He's putting the, the finishing touches to the antidote, and we don't want anything to go wrong at this stage. Ragosa tilted his head curiously. So you have found the antidote. And the professor does need his guinea pigs, as you call them. Out of my way. Ragosa brushed him aside and reached for the door of the laboratory. He was almost immediately thrown off balance when the handle was yanked from his grasp at the last second as the door opened suddenly. In the entrance, there stood the unmistakable figure of Professor Biggs. Ragosa smiled. Professor, I... I, uh, I believe congratulations are in order. The professor smiled and bowed to acknowledge the compliment. The doctor moved over, trying his best to reach an arm round Ragosa's shoulder, high above him, and turn him away from the laboratory. Uh, Commander, we still have work to do. It would really be useful if you would leave us alone for the moment. But Ragosa refused to move. 
There was a pause whilst he studied the professor. Then he turned round and faced the doctor. I can see you have. The replicator hasn't completed its work. The professor has acquired Rose Mariner feet. The fake professor spoke, but without the professor's voice. Indeed he has. Ragosa recognized the tone and timbre. Bruno. The fraudulent Biggs tilted his head in acknowledgement. Yes, I, Governor Brunel. Your game is over, Rugosa. Is it really? <laughs> guards! You are both under arrest. The Rose Mariner guards immediately leveled their guns and took both the Doctor and Brunel into their charge. I think my game is very far from over. Having used the antidote on Brunon, we now know it works. That's all I needed. Brunon shook his head, smiling triumphantly. While you were wasting your time with us, the Professor was alerting the rest of the universe. Your plans are shattered. Rugosa laughed at him. <laughs> In your dreams, Brunon. I know about the imminent arrival of the Earth Force. They will be greeted by Colbert, and he will assure them that all is well. If Professor Biggs has gone back to the Earth Station, he will find himself in the same situation as you do, under arrest. Guards! He turned to the Rose Mariners. Take our so-called governor back to the hospital wing. Put him under Rose Dream again. Maximum dose. Rugoso watched his guards drag his former captor from the room. As he turned back to the doctor, Rugosa spotted a syringe lying on the lab counter. He smiled. Ah, Doctor. The antidote, I presume. <sighs> Do you expect me to deny it? Rugosa plucked it from the table. I think I may have need of it. Especially now we know that it works. Come, Doctor. I want to show you how you will help me to take over not just this satellite, but Rosa Damascena too. And then the galaxy of Betus. Then... Then the entire universe. Come. With a gesture, Rugosa led the way to his command headquarters, accompanied by the Doctor, who was held under guard by the one remaining Rose Mariner. ESS-454, Colbert was beginning to panic. Unfamiliar with the layout of the Earth Station, he'd taken several wrong turnings on his route back to Rose Marinus. Jamie had managed to cut him off and trap him near the airlock link to the giant satellite. Uh, have you now, Mr. Colbert, or whatever your real name is? Attaker! He shouted back. You not listen! The Scot charged and leapt onto the other man, knocking him to the floor. Colbert was desperately scrambling for his relay, trying to contact Rugosa, but Jamie wrenched it from his grasp and flung it away, sending it flying back down the corridor. Oh no, no, you're not going to tell that big-headed crook anything more. You cannot hold me! Colbert struggled furiously, but Jamie held on. Just when it seemed that the young Scotsman would surely prevail, Colbert, with a final despairing effort, managed to break free and run up the tunnel into Rose Marinus. Half exhausted, Jamie followed.
Back in the security room, the professor had been alerting Earth and Rosa Damasina to recent events. Zoe turned to him. I suppose even senior people like you have to know an awful lot of communication technology. My dear Zoe, surely your travels with the Doctor have taught you that whatever can go wrong at some stage will go wrong. But are we going to stop, Rugosa? Of course. But whether it is before or after he destroys us could depend on how quickly the cavalry can arrive. You mean we may not get out of here? I think it is time we went and saw what was happening to the Doctor and Jamie, of course. And all my staff. In the command suite, in front of a wide bank of screens, Rugosa was outlining his return to Rosa Damasina to the Doctor, who was strapped into a chair facing him. I am sure that you can enjoy the irony, Doctor, as I do. There will be an army of Earth people armed with the most advanced weaponry, because that is what Earth always has specialised in. They will help me to take over Rosa Damasina, which doesn't believe in such things. And so the planet will have no cause but to surrender. And you expect them to just accept this? <laughs> Why not? And your creature, pretending to be Colbert, he can achieve all this? They will be expecting Colbert. They will find Colbert. That is our trump card. And then I fear he may be playing at the wrong table, Commander. He has just run into the Rosarium. What? Rogosa spun round to look at the battery of screens, and there, indeed, was Colbert in the Rosarium. As he watched, Jamie burst through the door in pursuit. But this time, Colbert was ready for him. Now, boy, you are mine. Colbert grabbed hold of Jamie, pinning his arms to his side. He started to drag the young man towards the Rosa Toxicaira. Jamie struggled as valiantly as he could, but the Rose Mariner was too strong for him. With a heave, Colbert flung him into the alien Rose's grip. I am afraid your time is up. <laughs> he started a laugh, frozen. But his victory was immediately cut short when a further briar lashed out from the Rosa Toxicaira and twisted itself round his arm. No! Ah, it's, it's got you too! No! No, this is not the way! Colbert struggled as the plant dragged him further and further in. As the Rose Mariner approached, Jamie grabbed hold of the other man's uniform, trying to pull himself out. Inch by inch, he succeeded in dragging himself forward, at the same time pushing his antagonist deeper into the clutches of the ravenous plant. No! This cannot be! With a final heave, Jamie ripped himself free of the plant's tendrils and turned to look at the terrible sight behind him. Colbert writhed in agony, eyelids drooping as the poison from the thorns filled his veins. His eyes rolled back and he disappeared into the plant, unknowingly echoing the fate of the man whose face and features he'd previously stolen. Jamie looked on with horror before turning away and plucking some briars from his clothes. I'm sorry. He walked off to the laboratory. Back on the command deck, Rugosa was amazed. How has that young man escaped? He should not have had the strength. The poison from the thorns should have neutralized him. The doctor shrugged as best he could, given his captive state. Uh, it is possible that he's protected from the poisons now he's had the antidote. He could be permanently immune, whereas uh, 
The old copy of Colbert, of course, was not. Ragosa received this information thoughtfully. You mean that if one is injected with the antidote, it is like a vaccine? And you cannot be put into Rose Dream again? It's uh, possible, I suppose. Uh, I don't know how effective it is, though, or, or how long it would last. There are still tests to be done. Ragosa looked long and hard at the doctor, and then smiled. All across the satellite, the Rose Mariners were losing control. With the help of the first ESS-454 staff members to be revived, Professor Biggs and Zoe were leading the rebellion. Wave after wave of the former convicts were being placed back under Rose Dream, even as their former warders were being revived. Brunon greeted them cheerfully as they forced their way into the hospital wing. You're not in Rose Dream? It would appear not, the governor replied. They tried to put me under several times, but the doctor's antidote seems to have left me immune to its effects. The doctor? Uh, of course, where's the doctor? I've been trying to find that out myself. Ragosa appears to have taken him to the command suite. That's where he was last seen. We must get the doctor away from Ragosa. He's a desperate man. Who knows what he's capable of? Brunon nodded. That's true enough, but he seems to have taken the doctor as some sort of hostage. The command suite is sealed off by its security shield. Before they could discuss a plan further, a loudspeaker in the wall burst into life, and Ragosa's voice was broadcast from it. Is Professor Biggs there? Brunon turned to the professor. Come, I will take you to where you can speak to him. The governor led him from the room to a nearby communications console. Now, you can't see him, but he can see you, and he will hear you. Very well. Biggs cleared his throat and spoke into the microphone. <clears throat> what do you want, Ragosa? Let the doctor go. Your mutiny is over. An evil laugh emanated from the speakers. <laughs> I think not. Not while I have the doctor. You will send my three colleagues so inconveniently put under Rose Dream to me here. Then we will talk further. Brunon slammed his hand on the desk angrily. You are in no position to make demands, Ricosa. Give yourself up. I have the doctor, and I am in ultimate satellite. As you know, Brunon, with just a touch of a button, I can send us all to eternity. Brunon's eyes widened in fear. Don't be a fool, Ragosa. What's he talking about? The emergency protocols. In the event of trouble, the entire Rose Mariners can be made to self-destruct. You have more to lose than I do, Brunon. You would be held responsible for the death of the finest xenobiologist in the cosmos. You would never be able to warn them of the folly of Rose Dream. You would never be able to tell them of the antidote. You would be blamed for the destruction of an Earth station with its entire staff. You might even provoke a war between Rosa Damascena and Earth. All of that would be down to you. Well? Bruno stared grimly at the speaker. Zoe looked at him insistently. We'll have to appear to appease him. He's got too much power in his hands. Will you release the Doctor if we allow your three colleagues to join you? I might. Remember, though, that I can see what you are doing even though you cannot see me. Then we'll send the three of them to the control room, over and out. As Biggs released the communications control, Brunon took him and Zoe to one side and spoke quickly and quietly, checking that none of the cameras were on them. When he releases the security shield and opens the door, I will charge him down. 
Neither Zoe nor the Professor were entirely comfortable with the suggestion. I really don't feel that would be awfully wise. I mean, if he can destroy the entire Rosemarinus... But Brunon was insistent. There's a safety catch on the destruct button. He may not know of it. He may think he'd just have to break the seal and press. The Doctor is our best hope. If we can get him out of there, I'm sure he can come up with something. Biggs agreed. Let's send the three men to the control, at least. After all, they're in no danger. They are already in Rose Dream. Brunon weighed up the options and eventually spoke. We'll try both. The moment the Doctor is released, I will tackle Ragosa. In the command suite, Ragosa watched smugly as the monitors showed the preparations for the handover being made. He swiveled his chair round to face the doctor. I told you there was nothing to worry about. Victory belongs to me. Uh, they'll stop you. They'll use the Rose Dream. I'd like to see them try. Ragosa pulled the syringe from the laboratory out of his pocket. You forget that I have the antidote now. What good will their plans do them when I am immune to their sole weapon? Face it, Doctor. You have lost. He pulled back his sleeve and prepared the injection. Everything was nearly ready for the exchange of prisoners. Jamie had rejoined Zoe, the Professor and Brunon, and they watched as the three revolutionaries in walking comas were lined up in front of the doors to the control room. Brunon positioned himself slightly to one side. Zoe looked at him. You're still going ahead with it? Brunon nodded. We have to take every chance we get. But it's suicide. Brunon shrugged. I'll take that risk. He gave a signal to Biggs. Talk to Ragosa. The professor nervously approached the control panel and operated the microphone. As you can no doubt see, Ragosa, your three colleagues are ready to come in. Are you ready to release the doctor? There was a long silence. The foursome exchanged worried glances and Biggs tried again. Commander Ragosa, what are you doing? Tell us. What's going on? Uh, I'm afraid Mr. Ragosa is not in a fit state to answer your questions just at the moment. Doctor! Oh, yes, Mr. Zoe, it's me. And I'm quite all right. <clears throat> well, mainly all right. Well, mainly locked in, actually. Uh, can you please tell me which button to push so that I can get out of here? I would so hate to press the wrong one. Everyone was amazed, but then after a moment broke into warm laughter. <laughs> but of course, Doctor. Brunon quickly passed on the instructions, and within a moment, the security shield had been lifted and the door opened. The Doctor was standing there, gently rubbing his wrists. Oh, Doctor, what happened? They looked through into the room behind him. At the control desk, Ragosa sat a gentle smile playing on his lips and a lost look in his eyes. He's under Rose Dream. Ragosa's under Rose Dream. Yes, I'm, I'm so sorry about the delay, but it took me a little time to get out of the chair. I don't think he'll be any trouble now. He would insist on giving himself the injection. I, I did volunteer to do it, but he said he didn't trust me enough to untie me. I, um, <clears throat> I feel I may have been remiss in not telling him that he had a syringe of Rose Dream and not the antidote. Over the next few hours, order was restored to Rose Marinus and to ESS 454. The staff returned to the Earth Station and Professor Biggs was able to restore the various experiments and research projects that had been shut down. The prisoners were returned to their cells and the sweet oblivion of Rose Dream as Brunon led his colleagues back into command. 
Once more, all was peaceful in the space between the planets Triangulum and Cetus. With a few swift actions, Bruno operated the controls and the giant satellite disconnected from the smaller research station. Biggs watched sadly from one of the windows of ESS-454 as the large ship moved off into space. I could have spent a lifetime studying those plants, you know, he said. The engines of Rosemarinus burst into life and it headed home to its mother planet. I'll miss them. Oh, and we'll miss you too, Professor. You're off as well? Oh, we're always off somewhere. Aye, but we never know where. The Professor smiled at them fondly. Well, if you're ever passing through this area again, make sure to stop by and say hello. Oh, but of course. That we will, Professor. That we will. Um, <clears throat> goodbye. He shook Biggs's hand warmly and Zoe and Jamie followed suit with their farewells. Goodbye, Professor. Hi, goodbye. The Professor gave them an airy wave, then returned his gaze to the window as they headed off. The three time travellers slowly ambled their way back to the TARDIS. Zoe glanced at the computer banks as they passed, lights flashing. It's all working now. The station's come back to life. Yes, yes, Zoe. Everything's back in its proper place. Uh, no more Marie Celeste. Um, why did he do it, Doctor? Who? Ragosa. Why did he poison himself? Oh, oh, that. Well, I'd have thought that was obvious, Jamie. He thought the syringe I'd let him take was the antidote that it would make him as immune as you are now. Just goes to show you should never muck about with syringes. They can seriously damage your health. Just as you should never muck about with the TARDIS. Oh, for goodness sake. I thought you'd forgotten that. The door slammed shut behind them. And with the familiar trumpeting roar, the TARDIS vanished from the research station, heading off to adventures new. Hello, I'm David Richardson, I'm the producer of The Lost Stories, and I'm here with Wendy Padbury, who plays Zoe. Hello. Hello. Fraser Hines, who plays Jamie. Hi there. Clive Wood, who plays Ragosa. Hi there. And David Warner, who plays Biggs. Hello. And last but not least, Lisa Bowerman, the director. <laughs> hello, Lisa. Hello, hello. It doesn't seem that long ago when we were here recording Prison in Space and we're all back together again. Have we enjoyed our little reunion? It's certainly, oh yes. Oh yes, always do, always do. <laughs> what's, it, what's it like though, Wendy and Fraser, dipping back into these roles every so often? It's great, actually. I mean, who? I mean, keep these lost stories coming. Exactly. That's what I say. Here, here. Uh, yes. You know. uh, yeah, no, we have a great time, don't we? It gives me great time, uh, fun to, to work with Wendy again, and also it reprise the, the role of Jamie, which I just love doing. 
Yeah. I'm not sure there are any more lost stories from your era, though. That's oh, the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to go to my garage. I think you're going to have to go to your garage, Fraser. Yes. Or ring up <laughs> Donald Posh. <laughs> yes. <write> yeah. <laughs> and pretend. Yes. He liked writing, writing for us, yeah. didn't he? Yes. <laughs> and it was lovely that Donald came in yesterday, wasn't uh, it? Wasn't he a joy to meet? What a delightful mm, man. Lovely yes. man. What a delight. Lovely stories as well about yeah. the time that he was editor. Yeah, and also, I mean, it's extraordinary when you, you meet these people and, you know, he was saying that he was one of the first people behind Coronation Street and it's just such a yes. piece of TV history. Yeah, absolutely. It really was, yeah. Yeah, so he'd, he'd written this story back in the 1960s but it never got fully developed at the time. Um, how do you feel it, it felt for you as part of your era doing it now? I mean, did, did it feel it fitted in properly with your era? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think Mm. it fits in really well. On the other hand, mind you, with the technology they've got today, I can picture this rosarium that we're in. Yes, yes. um, Sort of more of now than... uh, It would be better now, I think. A couple of plasticine flowers if you're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But the story itself, yes, certainly (laughs) holds up for our people. Mm. You'll never look at a rose bush in the same light again. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Doctor! Doctor! It's Jamie! The rose has got it! Doctor! It's going to kill me! And how would you compare it to doing a Companion Chronicle? Because we've had a nice little merry band today, haven't we? It's all, it's, it's been a nice film. Is it, is it easier to do these when it's not all on you? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, we've got David and Clive. I mean, yeah. what, mm. what more could you want, really? Well, I can think of something. But... <laughs> <laughs> we what, can't. Money? <laughs> <laughs> and Fraser, you've been doing your, your Doctor again, which... We're actually writing more and more for you now just because you fly with it, don't you? Yes, I'm, I'm going to ask for two fees next time. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just love doing the docs. I just love doing Patrick, you know. Um, it's a great, you know, and the, the more lines you have, I, I just, uh, he has, I just lo- love thinking, oh, good, 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 good. I can do Patrick here, here, here. So I love it. Yeah, um, if I can just interrupt here, but listening to uh, Fraser do. Patrick Troughton, basically. It's just wonderful to hear that. I shut my eyes even when I'm listening and when we're... Yeah, it really is fabulous. It just really, really brings back those times because Patrick Troughton was the... I mean, I was quite old when Patrick Troughton was sort of the doctor, but he was the one that I sort of really, really kind of identified with and, and still do in a way. And so to hear Fraser do that, I mean, these two are very, very lucky to have that particular doctor. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, we. uh, uh, just because he was just smashing. I, they all, they're all obviously, um, you know, fabulous and have their, you know, th- their own followers and everything. But I was a, a Troughton man, so there you go. You know Max Pevenkov's work with the distillation of orchids? Of course. Even those ancient and early experiments have proven unusually helpful when exploring alien plant forms. And Frank's theories linking the chemical properties in combating human diseases? Both great pioneers. (laughs) They they were. They were. One thing I wondered, Wendy and Fraser, actually, was... um... Because you made the series on such a fast turnaround then. It was virtually weekly, wasn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, Mm. yes, it Mm. was weekly. Yeah. I mean, did you have any feel for what was going in the production office and all the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff, or were you just writing it, really? You're just the next script and you'd make it and then... I certainly didn't have any any feel, and I think we were quite shielded from any problems that were happening, actually. And I'm sure there were plenty. Yes, And yes, I've, yeah. I've, we've discovered doing all these sort of things and meeting people years and years after that indeed there were many, many problems. But actually, as no. actors at that point, we were very much shielded from 
Yes, we, we never about scripts, editing and stories and no. storylines. And we had no kind of input either. No, I mean, we didn't. The only input we had, was, I think, was the um, when Patrick said that there was only three of us for the mind robber. And he said, yeah. this story's too long just for three people to, you know, you're, you're using just three acts instead of six or seven. And they cut those episodes down by about four minutes. Yeah. Ah, Professor Biggs. This is indeed a privilege. And your colleague, of course, Colbert told me you were coming. He didn't tell me your name, though, Doctor. Mm, I'm delighted to, to make your acquaintance, Commander. And I'm going to come over to Clive now. And this has been your first experience of a big finish, so I wondered what was it like? Well, listen, it's great. It's always great to play a villain, you know. Mm. And I, I, got, I get to do my, my big villain voice and my ridiculous laugh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Distrust scientist, Doctor? No, I love them. They can never resist trying to give you what you want if they think it will prove how clever they are. There are very few opportunities on stage, or some people may disagree with that with my performances, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a great opportunity just to, to let rip on something like this, you know. It's, um, it doesn't have to be too subtle, which is great. And it's, it's, it's great. It's great fun. I know Lisa was very, very keen to get you for this, were you not, Lisa? Yeah, I, I was. It, it's just... You got you got a good voice, Mr. Wood, well, and we needed to use you. it. And I read the script, and I've I've, I've I've I know Clive's work, and I've had him in my little black book, as ever. I was trying to find an opportunity to find a good character, and this sort of came flying off the page. I thought, oh, I know who I quite like for that. So uh, luckily, Clive was available, and um, you well, know. thank you, thank you for the opportunity. Did you have to audition for it? <laughs> <laughs> Did you make your audition for it? No, um, we, we don't Fast talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on, anyway. No, I was really, really pleased he, he could do it. And, and what's so lovely is that um, David and Clive had worked together before. And I, I think it was just nice to uh, kind of reverse the roles slightly. Well, in fact, of course, uh, both at Stratford-on-Avon, uh, but we actually have been on stage together but never exchanged any words between each other. Aww. So this, in fact, is the first time ever, even though we've known each other for some time, that we've actually ever spoken to each other as uh, characters. And I can still barely see you across this studio. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was very pleased. I, I think that it's interesting how this varies from Prison in Space because it was the same sort of structure with the narration and the dialogue. But because we had one extra character in this, I think it really, the, the flow of it was was really easy. I think, that, you know, we, we cracked through it pretty quickly, and um, but in detail as well. Uh, it just it, I had a nice feel to it. I like this one. And it's not that long ago, Clive, that you did the telly show, is it? Yes, I did an episode of um, uh, the last series, yeah, with uh, Matt. Um, yeah, it was great fun. I was wading through uh, mud just outside of Cardiff, dressed as a Roman uh, commander, um, very briefly. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> uttered a few strange words to uh, Alex Kingston in the, a couple of scenes I had. Yeah, it was, but it was again, it was great fun. Can I ask you a question about that? I mean, you got yeah. reaction, didn't you, from fans of Doctor Who? Uh, it was quite extraordinary. I mean, I'm, I was in probably two couple of scenes and a couple of flashbacks or something, and um, literally within three or four weeks, this mail started appearing with postcards of my image as the Roman commander. I suppose that's the wonders of technology now that people can do that. Um, from everywhere. I mean, you know, I felt I'd contributed so little, and yet it seems to have <laughs> such a incredible... It's a job that will mm. never go away, Yes, yeah. <laughs> Conventions now. And talking of conventions, David, you have actually encountered the Doctor Who audience, haven't you now? Yes, even though I haven't done a television. I've never done a television one, but I'm 
as anybody who's listened, I've done a couple of the um, of the CDs here for, for Big Finish, and of course it's always great fun. Yes, I went to a convention, and uh, I really loved it. I really loved it. And uh, what can I say? I mean, um, they're, they're great fun. And, and, and you know, these the Big Finish products, as they say, and I hate to use that word, are held in such affection by the fans, I think. And I think that's wonderful. And I think that people who... who who do this, like actors who come in here, they have the same affection for the for, for the scripts and for, for everything as the fans do. It's, it's, it's an equal reciprocal thing, and I think it's fantastic. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, we never take it for granted that people like yourselves will come in and do them, really. And we so. never take it for granted that there's work there. And I mean, no, I mean that, absolutely. I just It's great. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have the opportunity of doing, as I always say. I always say that. Yeah. It's about time you did the TV series. Oh, it wouldn't I have been nice to you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You'd be fantastic in the TV. <laughs> and Lisa, so let's talk about the tone of this one. So it's black and white again, isn't it? It's We're back in, in black and 1969. white. Slightly mad idea, uh, but I think that's allowed. It's yeah. Doctor Who. It's sci-fi. Um, yes, it is. I mean, all the ones we set in the 60s have had a very extreme images around them and I think in the post-production obviously we try and inject a bit of that through the old uh, radiophonic music, uh, music sort of feel to it Up in the control centre Rogoza was receiving Colbert's report That girl is proving most useful uh, The pacing of it but uh, as, as Wendy said actually I can see this being made now uh, yeah. more so than some of the others we've had which were very much set in its time mm. I think this is such a mad idea it would be executed in a really good way this yeah. time mm. so, uh, but certainly in the sound design yeah we will inject as, as much of the 60s feel as possible mm. which is always fun Ragoza shook his head and watched as with a despairing shriek suddenly cut off Colbert was engulfed by the rose I'm so sorry, but we really couldn't have you creating all that trouble. But, uh, no, I, li I like this, it, and it had a good swing to it, and the story was, was pretty concise. Good beginning, middle, and an end. Mm. No, yeah. It. No, it was great. So is that why it's gone so... I know we touched on this, but is yeah, that why it's, it's gone, gone so, so quickly? It's because everybody's so damn good. I know. <laughs> and also, as I said, I touched on earlier, it's the structure of it. I, I think it's been broken up a lot more. There weren't those great dense passages of narration, and it's very difficult to transfer something that was a forecast visual, written as a forecast visual, into a full car, well, I suppose a smaller condensed version of it for audio. And I think this particular adaptation has been very well done. But on that note, as sad as it is to wind up two lovely days, I think I will thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. See you, thank you. See you soon. Bye now. And what about the champagne? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs>